So we continue on uh, with Origins, and Origins is uh, our Genesis series. Obviously, it's what we've been doing for the last four weeks. This is our fourth week. We have four more to go, um, and we have gone through the book of Genesis, sort of one, two, three, and now we're up to chapter four. Uh, for those who are new and are looking at our um, our sort of piece of art over here, that's part of uh, what we've been doing in terms of understanding what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is all about. This idea of creation is not so much an idea of the formation of matter as it is about the ordering and naming of what was already there. So there's this sort of outer area where we have all those strings and that kind of represents this kind of chaos type thing. And then as we get closer into the center, it's a more ordered and, and sort of suited shape. And this is what the book of Genesis is all about, God creating order from disorder, and right in the center of the order is a place called Eden. And that is the place where God set up his home, and God set up Adam and Eve to live together uh, as a group, as a family. And the idea was Adam and Eve would steward this garden, they would steward the presence of God, and their job was to bring others in, to experience the order of God, to experience the order of love, and to experience the presence of God. And so their job was to tend the garden and tend the presence of God and usher others in. And that was all working well until Genesis 3, when the snake came on the scene, and then disorder came into or attempted to come into the garden. And that was what we tend to call the fall. So we're up to Genesis chapter 4 now. If you have your Bible, please feel free on your phone or it'll be up on the screen. So our story starts outside of the garden. Adam and Eve are no longer allowed back in. Do you remember they were pushed out of the garden and God put the the angel there to guard the tree of life? Because if they were to go back in, in this state of sin, this state of disorder, and they were to take the fruit from the tree of life, then this sinfulness and this sinful brokenness would go on forever. God didn't want that. Jesus became the plan, the way of reconciling humanity and its brokenness and its sin. Jesus stepped into that place for us, became, as Paul calls him, the second Adam. Um, And so now we begin life outside of the garden. And Israel's journey begins very, very, very infancy, but this is the start of the world expanding and expanding. So Adam and Eve are outside the garden. They're no longer in. And the very first story that we have uh, from them starts in chapter 4. Adam Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So they're outside of the garden. Their expansion of humanity has begun. And Adam and Eve are doing what God called them to do. His name is Earth or Life and, and her name is Life and she brings forth life. And they are beginning this population of the world process. And so we get this sort of early on stage where they have begun their children. And then these children, we, the next thing, we've got these older we don't know how old they are. We don't know how old they are tending flocks or, or curating the ground or, or tending the ground. But we know that they're obviously old enough to be kind of young guys. So we've had a bit of a time jump there. And we've set them up. They've both been set up. One of them is a flock tender and the other 
is someone who works with trees and fruit and stuff that is produced. So we have these two differing, but in some similarities, uh, these two sides are set up here. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord, looked on, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I find this scripture perplexing. I genuinely find it a challenge to try and understand what is going on here. So let's have a little look uh, at some of the words that's going on. Um, <clears throat> when I was growing up, we were always told um, sort of like, we would ask, I remember asking my poor old Sunday school teacher about this all the time. Why did God like this one and not that one? How come? And my poor old Sunday school teacher, he said to me that he thought that it was because uh, Cain's gift, uh, Cain's offering was fruit and Abel's was an animal and the animal had blood and he started to link that up to the sacrificial system that was to come. So for, for all of my thinking, that's kind of what I've held to be true. So I started to have a little look at some of the words associated with this. And what we find is that this, world, uh, this word offering, a gift, um, this is sort of used and translated really simply as offering, sort of 152 times this is used. So we've got no kind of room to move in terms of could this mean something else or is this a, a poor translation? So both of them give an offering and they're both spoken of in exactly the same terms and exactly the same words. But what we've got, the, the big change is this word fat. When he speaks about uh, this idea of giving the best or giving the first fruits, we might like to say. And this is where there's a difference in the way those two things are spoken of. So uh, Cain gave his offering, which is given, but Abel's offering, it says that Abel's offering was from the fat and from the first fruits. So we've got an offering, and then we've got an offering which is the very best and the first thing that he has produced. So the best that I can do in terms of why one was smiled on and one wasn't there's two reasons why I think. But the first one is, I think Cain gave his gift. He said, here you go, here's my offering, and he laid it out. But I think Abel's offering was one that cost him, and it was an offering that was the very best that he had. So he didn't kind of sit down and think, all right, well, you know, I get paid this much money. How much, mm, you know, they talk about a tithe. Who really does that? You all should, by the way. Um, and he goes, how about I just, what's the, what, you know, how much? Oh, that's enough. Whereas Abel sat down and said, the best that I have and the first that I have, I'm going to go without in order to, to bless God, in order to give something back to God. And when God has seen this, something of his response to it is in some way positive. And these two guys, the, the result is that there is this, tension. There is this tension in the way that both of these two men react and respond. So there's nowhere 
any scholar that I could find, and I looked far and wide, nobody said anything about blood or anything being more or less, that was kind of not really entertained. So um, if that's what you've been kind of thinking of it as, maybe there's a different way of, of seeing it. But I think it is about this, the heart, it is about the energy behind, the, the, the belief behind what these two men offered to God. John Walton says uh, this, In the end, the only thing that the text makes clear is that Cain in some way does not do what was right. That's verse 7. Whether the cause of Cain's rejection, the text is more interested in his response to it than in delineating the details. So the text is more interested in what Cain does rather than why one is smiled upon more than the other. My initial thinking is, why was that one smiled upon and not that one? Because I want God to smile on me. So what he's saying is the text doesn't actually highlight that. That's kind of part of the story to get you somewhere else. Okay? The offense under scrutiny is the murder of Abel, not the unacceptable offering. The offering scenario is recounted only as far as it is necessary to set the stage for the murder. Spoiler alert, I've given away the story. Okay, so this offering thing is kind of a device, it's a vehicle to get you from here to here. It's not the point of the story. But what we do start to see is Cain starts to lay out for us his character and his heart. We start to see what Cain does when things don't go the way that he wants them to go. This is a picture uh, of the 2013 German, in the German Grand Prix. Uh, Australian Mark Webber pulls into the pits. He goes in there to, uh, to, to change the tyre. He goes in and the, the man who's changing the tyre has slipped over and he's accidentally uh, told Mark Webber he can go. He's pushed the, uh, this, this little button that says he can go. The wheels aren't screwed on. He's pulled out and these wheels have bounced off. Okay, And they've hit a cameraman. And this cameraman has got broken ribs, broken collarbone. His car just, it's a, a very, very, very expensive mistake. It was an error. And Mark Webber had a, a set plan in mind of how he was going to leave the pits and, and he did what he was supposed to do. But there were other factors and that changed everything for him. 2010, this is a picture of the Chinese Grand Prix and Sebastian Bumoni he is driving at 200 kilometers an hour plus, driving along at 200 kilometers an hour, and his front two wheels, literally, the suspension has collapsed, and his front two wheels have gone bouncing off at 200 kilometers an hour. You see the video of this on YouTube, and he's there, and his wheels just go bouncing off, and then you see him trying to do this as he's trying to steer this vehicle that is just going flat out towards a barricade. There's very little that he's able to do. What do we do in life when the wheels fall off? What do we do when the plans that we have made, the best laid plans that we have, the work we have put in does not happen? What do we do when our parents don't treat us the way that we want them to? What do we do if our parents' marriage fails or falls apart? What do we do if our marriage fails or falls apart? Or what if we don't even get the chance to be married? We don't find that person. We don't have that uh, part of our life that maybe we always planned. What happens when our career doesn't pan out the way that we wanted it to? What happens when the job availabilities is not there? Or you had it and you lost it? 
or your children aren't what you hoped that they would be. Maybe they don't want to come to church anymore. Maybe they don't hold the company that you wished that they held. Maybe you don't get on very well. What do you do when your health is not what you wanted it to be? What happens when your life is not the way that you wanted it to be? When the wheels fall off, whether they be our own choice or whether they be by the actions of other people, we're stuck. That's where Cain is. Cain is in this situation where God speaks to him, verse 5, but, God, but on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. And this is the response of Cain. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So he had in mind this offering. He gave something to God and the response he got was not the response he wanted. And his reaction and understandably so, was to be angry and his face was downcast. That's what we can do. It's an understandable response to disappointment. Very, very understandable response to disappointment. But Cain didn't seem to be able to see a way through, a way forward where he was able to hold on to love for his brother and hold on to respect for himself and also hold on to the sanctity of human life. Cain had a different way in mind for him to be able to manage this difficulty. Let's read this verse together. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Let's read that again with a little bit of passion. Let's start from verse 7 because it's very flat. Verse 7, this is, in my opinion, this is absolute biblical brilliance. It's psychological brilliance, it's theological brilliance, and it's God speaking. So let's do the text some respect and, and read it out. Verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That is profound. The story, uh, the never-ending story. Has anyone seen the never-ending story? Back in the day, good film. The never-ending story is about this young boy called Sebastian, and he's picked on and bullied a lot. Sebastian's mum has died. His dad is trying to cope and at work, and he's not home nearly as much. Sebastian, instead of going to school, he goes to this bookstore, gets this big magical book, and heads off to this place after he's bullied. He heads off to this attic, and he sits in there and opens up this book and reads this story of this incredible land called Fantasia. And in Fantasia, imagination is everything. And as the story progresses, we see that this magical and mystical land, there's this darkness that's coming. It's called the nothing. And what the nothing is, is this void of children's imaginations. And as the nothing grows, as kids become more and more fixated on screens and things like that, as opposed to books and imagination, this magical world of Fantasia starts to get smaller and smaller. This Indian boy called Atreyu, his job is to try and kill the nothing, to stop the nothing. And as he progresses through the story, we finally get to this scene where Atreyu sees this wolf with green eyes and he's terrifying this wolf. And he begins to speak. He's a puppet 
and he speaks to Treyu and he says, inevitability of the nothing taking over, is just, it's just inevitable. It's just what's going to happen. Just get used to it and die. And Atreyu refuses. He absolutely refuses to give in to this nothing and he keeps his hope alive and the story progresses. When God speaks to, a- when God speaks to Cain in this part of our story and he says to him that sin is crouching at your door, we start looking back at the original language and what that is is a direct reference to an ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian demon named Rabbis. And this demon, it was known as a crouching sort of demon that would wait in the doorways of people's houses. And what Rabbis would do is, as you were coming into your home and you were busy and you weren't watching, as you came in and you opened the door, Rabbis would run through the door and he would come into your house. And when Rabbis came into your house, he was wreak mayhem. And he would kill you and destroy things. And if you weren't watching, people used to speak about watching in the doorways. If you were not aware, then Rabbis could push his way in and wreak chaos and mayhem in your life. God says to Cain, be very careful, Cain, because something is crouching in the doorway. If you do not manage it, it will push its way through into your life. And chaos and mayhem will be the result. Chaos and mayhem will be the result. God doesn't say to him, this is a a foregone conclusion. God says to him, you can do something about this. But Cain chooses not to do this. He has a way out. He has a way to be able to sit in the disappointment of God not giving him what he wants. Haven't we all had to do that at some point in our life? He had to sit with the disappointment of God not coming through for him the way that he wanted God to come through for him. There's a possibility that if he holds himself, he trusts and believes in the goodness of God, that this time will pass and he will meet God in a different way, in a new way. Cain doesn't want that. He's mad, he's peeved off, he's angry because he gave something and he did not get back what he wanted back. Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been in a place where we've loved someone, where we've passionately loved someone, where we've sacrificially loved someone, where we've poured our life and our love and our heart into them and they've just not responded the way we want? Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord God said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, replied Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Interesting word that. Am I my brother's keeper? We start looking at the origins of those words. That word links back to what God called Adam and Eve to do in the garden. Their job was to tend the garden, to keep the animals, to name the animals, to bring order. That's what his role was, to be a keeper of the garden. God says to him, where's your brother? And his response is, am I his keeper? Not my job. I'm not, I don't have to do that. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it is with no long, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer. So Cain makes his choice. God didn't respond the way he wanted. Cain was furious to being in a place of murder. He had a murderous rage. And instead of sitting with his disappointment, instead of speaking to God about his frustration and his anger, what he did was he, he sought out the one who was blessed and he hit him and killed him. He sought out the one who was blessed and he hit him and he killed him. As I was sitting in my office looking at this, I thought, well, what a terrible thing to do. Who would do that? And then I started to think about maybe some of the things I think about with the people that do really well. And maybe the people that do well at things that I think I'm really good at. What, do I, what goes on in here? What goes on in me when someone succeeds at something that I think I'm really good at and they're doing better than I am or they're more recognized than I am? Because that's where this stuff begins. We don't walk around with something to hit somebody else. It begins in here, doesn't it? You see someone being blessed. You see someone doing well. You see someone being celebrated. And what goes on inside you? Because in Cain, it's he celebrated, I really want to be. And his decision with Rabbis at the door is not to hold himself trusting the goodness of God. His decision is, I will take out that which has been blessed. We might not hit anybody. What do we say? What do we say about the person who's doing well? What do we say about the person who can just have kids whenever they want? What do we say about the person who just seems to get that next opportunity, whose kids do really well, or that person who's got the sort of life that we've always wanted? What do we say in our heart about them? Because that was God's challenge to Cain. This story is about the murder, and the murder takes up half a verse. God asked this question, where is your brother? We hark back to Genesis 3, we did two weeks ago, and Adam and Eve take the fruit, and God's question, he, he speaks them, where are you? We have a similar question, we have a very similar rundown of what happened in Genesis 3 here again. This is what Scripture does, patterns, 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 because we tend to respond in very similar ways to sin, brokenness, and God's goodness. Cain lies. He blames his brother. Am I his keeper? Do you remember Adam and Eve? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. It's not my fault. Afraid, naked, hiding and blaming was what we talked about last time. And then we see that Cain is cursed. And just as with Adam and Eve, this is not a a spell or a hex. The curse of God is this withdrawal. So God steps back and says, you have chosen to step outside of my order. If we go over to our our piece of art over here, they're in the order of God. They're in this place here where things are as they're meant to be. And when they choose sin, they step out of this order and into this part here. God is saying to Cain, you want that. I will give it to you because it's what you desire. And then he steps away from him. It's not this curse of you're terrible and I'm going to make your life bad. It's a you actually get what you want. It will break you, but you've chosen and that's what you desire. And then again, the earth refuses to cooperate. It's the same for Adam, but now it's even larger because he stepped further back. 
where they took the fruit, they took disobedience. Now it's gone the next step further where there's physical violence and death. God said it's going to be even harder for you to make a living, even harder for you to find and forge a way forward. Cain is pushed further into the non-order and as a result, he creates cities. And cities are his way of attempting to do what God did. Cities are Cain's way of trying to create order in the mess. He's trying to create his own order. He is doing what the snake said that he would do. He is attempting to be like God. To make it a little clearer, do you remember we spoke about the the garden as being like the temple or the tabernacle. And this place here is the most holy place. One priest could go in there once a year and and give an offering of atonement. The garden of Eden, the central place over there, that is this. And as Adam and Eve sinned, they went further out from this place. And as we look now, it's a, a sort of picture of the tabernacle and how Israel and the Exodus story, how they formed their whole nation around the presence of God and the temple is right there in the middle. This is the the smoke of God, the Shekinah of God. Here, when we speak about where Cain is now, his curse, Cain is way over there somewhere. He's not even within the vicinity anymore. So he's no longer in the presence of God. He's no longer in the presence of his family. He is well and truly outside He's out in the wild, he's out in the wilderness, he's out in the disorder. Verse 13, Cain Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Listen to what he doesn't like. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. That's the first thing. I'm away from the land and I'm hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth. And then he says, whoever finds me will kill me. I'm away from your presence, I'm away from this land, I'm away from this earth, and now I've got a target on my back. Whoever finds me will want to kill me. God's response. And just think about how you always imagine God at the point where Cain kills his brother. What do you think God is going to do? Let's have a look. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God in this sense is different than I thought. Because I I would have thought God would have been filled with anger and rage and spitting him out and pushing him out. I don't hear that in the text. I hear sadness and disappointment for sure, but I hear a little bit about Genesis 3 again. Do you remember Adam and Eve's sin? They're broken and God gives them, those trying to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, God gives them clothes. And those clothes cover them, yes, but it also is a preparation for life outside in the garden. Because they're not going to be in this place where everything is as it should be. And here we see God gives Cain this mark. We don't know what it is. I've looked everywhere and... It was everything from people saying this is the origins of of people with dark skin to other people saying that he had some sort of birthmark put on him. It's just a whole lot of really wild and crazy ideas. We have no idea. The text doesn't tell us. All we know is that he was marked and the other people that were around that he was frightened of uh, know that they aren't to touch him because of this mark. But that mark keeps him safe. 
So God doesn't kill him. It's not blood for blood. But what he says is, I'll mark you so that you will be safe. A little bit like what he did with Adam and Eve when he gave them those clothes. It's not this rageful push you out, I want to destroy you. It's this brokenness, this sadness, and I'll do what I can to try and make it right, as right as it can for you. There's shades of Jesus and his enemy love and he's you know, the person who slaps you turn the other cheek. You can see shades of that here in the way God treats these people. I want to contrast this with a, a New Testament text. So this is 4, 6 and 7, Genesis 4, 6 and 7. Then the Lord God said to Cain, why are you so angry? This is after he's not been given the blessing that he wants. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So that's God speaking to Cain, who's at this point where he's incredibly disappointed. He's angry and he's fuming. He's boiling at this point. Contrast that with the story of Zacchaeus from Luke 19.8. So here's this little man who was wealthy. He was small. He was really rich. He got really rich through ripping off his own country people. He was taking far more for tax for Rome than he was allowed to. He would have put people out of their homes. He would have taken food from the mouths of children. Without a shadow of a doubt, a rotten, horrible, disgusting predator. Okay, let's not be, this tax is not just a little thing. He took food from the mouths of people who were starving. He meets Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord. So he's met, he's met Jesus. Jesus is in his house. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of everything, I will pay back four times the amount. So we see this contrast, don't we? Because Cain has not got what he's wanted. His life has not gone the way he wants. He's not been blessed the way he wants. And he's furious and he's angry and someone's going to pay. Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And at that point, there's this spirit of, of repentance in him. There's this spirit of, I've done the wrong thing. I'm going to own the fact that I've done the wrong thing. I'm not going to blame anybody else because of the wrong things that I've been doing. I've done the wrong thing and I'm going to make it right. I think that's what God means when he says to Cain, um, but, do not do, uh, but do not do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I think that's exactly what Zacchaeus did when he met Jesus. He was able to rule over the greed that was motivating him and driving him. Without a doubt, Zacchaeus would have been angry because he was short. He would have been disrespected his whole life. But instead of him continuing on, once he met Christ, once he met Jesus, something switched in him, something changed in him. The difference between Zacchaeus and Cain is that Cain remained angry and Cain made someone else pay for his disappointment. Zacchaeus met Jesus and he accepted responsibility for what he did and then he set about making his life right. He owned his stuff. This is a copper-plated, non-stick pan. We're talking about owning our own story. We're talking about accepting the responsibility for whatever hand that you have been dealt. 
because we all come from somewhere, don't we? In psychology, we call that our family of origin. We come from somewhere. Our parents give us a genetic code. Our parents give us a a nurture. They give us a home to live in. Or maybe we don't even have that. Maybe you grew up in someone else's home or somewhere else. But you've got a story. You've been given a, a hand. And you can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about the genes that I was given. I can't do anything about the home I grew up in. And as a result, I learn things about life. I learn things about myself. I learn things about what is important and what is not important. That begins the formation of my character. Because the way I respond and react to that home, the way I respond and react to my genes, turns things on and turns things off and begins to affect how I live in this world. And you can live in this world as a response to, an angry response to the hand that you've been dealt. Cain did not get what he wanted. And as a result, he was angry and someone paid. Zacchaeus met Christ. And in that moment, he managed himself. He managed something of Jesus called him to more and better. Sin crouches. The call to Cain is a call to us. We must master. We must master. If we can sit with our family of origin and we can explain away so much because of the family I came from or the genes I was given or the country I was born in, whatever that may be, we can use that as a non-stick coating. And if we do that and when we do that, the people who are close to us will feel the pain of that in us. Because when we're non-stick... I think that's what God is warning Cain about. He's saying you must own it. You must master it. You must be aware that there is a demon crouching at your door and that he will come in if you give him half a chance. One of the ways I think that that happened is when we don't accept responsibility for the choices that we have made, for the decisions and the responses and the reactions that we have when people hurt us or when our story doesn't go the way we want, when we're disappointed. If we don't take the non-stick off and we don't accept responsibilities, then this thing that is crouching at our door will barrel its way in and chaos and mayhem will result. Cain murdered his brother because he was so disappointed and angry with God's response to his offering. He murdered him, took his life. Violence entered our story, and Cain built a city around it. God tells him there is a way that you can master it, and you must. And that's my challenge to us today. What is crouching? What is down here? And where are you non-stick? Where are you not taking responsibility for what you need to take responsibility for? That doesn't mean that we, we don't own our brokenness and we don't have grace with each other. But if you don't, if I don't take responsibility for my responses, this thing that is crouching at the door will barrel its way in and my, my house will be filled with chaos. I don't want a chaotic house. I want a house that is a Zacchaeus house where we're able to stand up and own our stuff and make restitution where we need to. Let's pray. God, the story of Cain is so sad. This firstborn man, this 
firstborn of this new breed. Lord, he had parents who gave him this image because you gave it to them. And Lord, I can't imagine the, the pain and the sorrow that Adam and Eve must have experienced as a result. For Cain not to be able to master what God called him to. For him not to be able to see a way for him to make it right before he took to the stage and before murder took part in our story. Lord, I pray and I ask that that same challenge from you to us, sorry, that same challenge from you to Cain is a challenge to us. What do we need to master? What is crouching at the door? What is waiting to push its way into our homes, into our houses, metaphorically into our stories? What is waiting and what do we need to master? What do we need to hold back? Holy Spirit, would you make it abundantly clear to us? And God, would you give us the capacity to do what Cain was unable to do? Would you give us the capacity to not resort to violence, whether it be physical, emotional, verbal, spiritual? Would you give us the capacity to hold our responsibility and to invite you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, healer, redeemer, restorer, creator. And would you step into our story and give us what we need to make things right. Father, restitution, resurrection is possible. And I thank you that we have this challenge and this gift. You've not left us unhelped. You've not left us alone. The Holy Spirit is here for us. Our community is for us. There is therapy. There's all sorts of things that are available to us. Would you give us the, the strength and the stamina to access them and begin the journey of mastering what is crouching? We pray all of these things in the good, godly, and resurrected name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, thank you, church.